Welcome to Educated Messes, a podcast to help you sift through the bullshit around work, well-being, and relationships. We'll ask questions, seek answers, and share experiences to help you navigate the messier parts of life. Because trial and error is a lot easier when we do it for you. Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm Kyla, and today we're talking about resilience, um, specifically how do we become more resilient and I don't know if you want to say, but (laughs) this is our second time recording this. (laughs) Um, Last time we recorded, we were not in a good headspace, and (laughs) you could tell. (laughs) So (laughs) we we decided to push it and make a a better version (laughs) because we care. (laughs) And because it was just so unenjoyable to listen to. Yeah, we were grumpy. I don't know what the heck happened. Well, I know what happened. It was right in the middle of just the apocalypse sky in Vancouver Mm. where the smoke was just like there was no sun. I was real pissed about it. And I think Mm. we were tired. I think it was like the end of a work day. So a lot of, oh, and we planned the episode and recorded all in one session. So a lot of learnings. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. And let's not do that again. Um, But... I am still excited to talk about this. I think it's a pretty relevant topic, um, especially as we're heading into the six-month mark of COVID. Um, I I read somewhere that six months is like you hit a wall. I don't know if this is like a proven thing, but in uh, difficult situations, I don't know. But I think we're all going through the same thing is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) You think that what happens at the six-month mark? Apparently when the six-month mark comes, you, like, I don't know, get bummed. I don't know. I didn't read it. (laughs) (laughs) What? Everyone gets bummed. It's like a clockwork thing. I don't know. Fact check that. But I think we're all feeling a little bit (laughs) tired is my point. Yes. I mean, I did share that nice resource on our Instagram a little while back um, that was all about how we have like definite fatigue from this at a certain point and like you can only be in crisis mode for so long and then things get wacky. So That's what I was trying to say. If you want to check that out, Kyla, (laughs) it's on our Instagram. (laughs) I'll make sure to call the follow. Please do. Um, amazing great start um (laughs) this is going better (laughs) at least we're happy um do you want to start us off with a little definition of resilience heck yeah so resilience is essentially when we're able to adapt well in the face of adversity or trauma or threats or stress resilience allows you to face difficult situations and move through them. And typically, it seems like when we get more and more resilient, we're able to handle those situations super efficiently. Yeah, totally. I was kind of finding that there were a a bunch of different definitions. Um, This one is from the American Psychological Association, the one that Kelsey was just talking about. Um, And an important part of resilience the definition that we're going to be focusing on is that it not only helps you get through difficult situations, but it also helps you grow. And I think that was kind of a piece that was missing for me <laughs> for a long time. So uh, it's interesting to read this and 
get it kind of concretely laid out? So there's definitely different types of resilience. Um, there's psychological and emotional resilience, which we're going to focus on today. And then there's also physical and community resilience, which are two different types of resilience that we won't touch on. But we're going to focus mostly on what it means to become more emotionally resilient and sort of the psychology behind that. Yeah. So I think it's important to also lay out what resilience isn't. Um, because yeah, I just know that I was I was thinking about this all wrong until basically like three years ago. Um, but being resilient doesn't mean that you won't experience difficulty or distress. It's likely that you will have a considerable amount of distress. I found when I was looking into this that there are a couple different definitions that felt closer to me to mental toughness. I was trying to find a definition for mental toughness, and it mostly was like sports related or like coaches. So I couldn't find anything that was like super scientific, but like in, like resources for coaches to coach mental or like athletes. athletes. Yeah. So they were saying like the ability to cope with or handle pressure, stress and adversity, the refusal to quit the possession of superior mental skills was kind of like the vibe. I don't think that's uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that's like a accredited source, but <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay. But yeah, it it feels like what I did for a lot of my life was focus on the bouncing back part without um focusing on the personal growth mm-hmm. part. So that was really interesting to me, um, doing the research for this. Yeah, fair. I definitely have lived like always priding myself on trying to be tough, like mentally tough, not physically tough. (laughs) And I think my view of it too was so much like to act like things didn't affect me as if that was like me bouncing back from something quickly as opposed to like actually attempting to understand what had happened. Like I wouldn't have considered that side of it. Me too. It was like I'm unbothered was my whole thing. I also think maybe that's like a youth thing. Like I just feel like in high school it was like a competition of who could care the least about things like that. That is fair. That is fair. (laughs) It's not cool to care. (laughs) No, definitely not. So I wanted to just kind of give an example that I have talked about a little bit before, but of how mental toughness is different than resilience and how I was kind of going about it. Um, so I, I too like to think of myself as strong, um, and really big things would happen to me. And I just remember saying I was fine. I was always fine. I was fine. It was fine. Lol. But yeah, I've since learned that I was just suppressing all of my emotions, <laughs> which I, uh, I'm working on it. I think I've come a long way. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's pretty common. I even saw a post on Instagram the other day that was like, stop putting lol at the end of you saying how you feel about something because you're not laughing. <laughs> I know. I'm such a culprit of that. Me too. Like, I feel like that's such a a way to go about co- like having conversations about things that are a bit tougher is to just like say something that's very serious and that you genuinely mean and then just go lol as a way yeah. of like being able to like cop out if the person yeah. doesn't. I feel like that's a very like millennial Gen Z yeah. thing too. Like just I'm super sad lol. Yeah. Yeah. True. I, yeah, I touched on this in, in 
uh, maybe it was our last episode. I'm not sure, but could have been the one we deleted. <laughs> could have been the one we deleted. So I'll just go over it again. But about a year ago, years and years of just suppressing everything kind of caught up with me. Um, we touched on this in our Can Our Emotions Affect Our Health episode, but the long story short is I had a lot of big life changes. Um, I graduated. I moved back home. I got a surgery. My family dog died and I absolutely Children. loved her. So sad. Um, I immediately got a puppy and he sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like he was so <laughs> bad. Um, love him now, but Poor he sucked. Ollie. Don't listen to this all. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Um, and <laughs> So because of him, I didn't sleep for like five months and I moved to Vancouver. I basically lost my job. It was just, just thing after thing. And I just kept like powering through. I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm just, I'm doing it and it's fine. I mean, you were also like, I remember going for a walk with you during that time. And it was like one of the first times I met Ollie. And I was like, what, like, how has it been? Like, he's so cute. And Kyla would just be like, don't get a dog <laughs> don't I, if you're thinking about it don't do it and Stop I was like thinking about I was it. like what like he's so sweet and you're just like don't do it <laughs> I was like oh shit this girl hates her dog right now <laughs> I did I did and I honestly think that he was like especially bad because I've I've seen puppies now that aren't like him so anyways it's <laughs> So the whole time, I never really stopped to think how it all was affecting me. I just thought that like, how you deal with things is you just keep going on. And then that's it. You don't have to do anything about it. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) So eventually, I took all of that baggage. And I started working at a company that (laughs) it was just a really toxic place. I hadn't processed anything that had happened before and then started adding more onto the pile. Mm -hmm. Um, I was overworked, micromanaged. The people would be berated. There was sexism. There was predatory behaviors. Um, I had some difficulties in my relationship. um, And I just kept suppressing it. I just, I would like pour myself into my work. I Mm -hmm. would, you know, I would just keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. And all of those suppressed emotions ended up manifesting in my body until I basically had a full mental and physical breakdown. And the whole time I thought that is what resilience was. And I was just missing this huge side of it, what which was understanding what I was feeling, why I was feeling it, and then learning and growing from it. I was just bouncing back and I kept bouncing back until it just couldn't bounce no more. Mm-hmm. So that's my example of what resilience isn't. But what I think is kind of modeled to us in a lot of ways, like that grit, maybe that's not even the word I'm looking for. I think grit is something else too. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out as like, I I have suffered from the hustle (laughs) mentality. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like there's this culture around like being able to go it alone and to be really strong and to be unaffected by things. And also, I just think there's this like expectation to have a lot of energy and be Mm -hmm. someone who like brings energy into like every situation. And I just think to expect that of someone is really like not to give them the space to yeah. have fluctuations. I've had to release that. I'm yeah. tired. <laughs> I'm really bad at that. Like I just yeah, feel well, like- that's something you put on yourself. I think too. You've said that in past episodes. Oh, you- absolutely. 
have a should of being like a, an energy bringer. Well, it's what I think that my value is, is to bring that. Mm-hmm. I would say that like, while I absolutely put that pressure on myself, like I have had like external forces kind of like reinforce that feeling where like when I don't have a lot of energy, I'm like, I'm always reminded by people of like the mood that I'm in or like that I'm grumpy or like things Ugh. like that, which True. I think just contributes to it because like not only am I in my own head being like, I wish I was someone who was like in this moment really upbeat and like always bringing that like positive energy. And when I let myself off the hook and let myself like maybe not show up super strong or whatever that means, I just think it's also like then it gets reinforced by people being like, you're being a bummer. And I'm like, ah, I am one right now. Yeah, I think that is an unfair thing for people to put on you and for you to take on to yourself. But maybe (laughs) we can build some resilience for it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just like very intertwined for me that like feeling of being strong also has to do with like not – yeah, like not having low energy and not being sad and like wanting to be like yeah. bringing the yeah, like the good good vibes. No, I totally <laughs> understand what you mean. Like I through going through all of that, I was still working and I still had an expectation for myself to yeah, come across as like peppy and excited mm-hmm. and I think that's also something that happens with women. There's a lot of emotional labor you have to do to be I don't know if it's I don't think palatable is the word that I'm I'm looking for, but make people comfortable. It makes yeah. people feel uncomfy sometimes when people aren't happy. Yeah. And I think women take on a lot of that, um, which I'm trying to – I think honestly having Zoom calls is, is helping a little bit of like not having to just appear pleasant all the time. See, that's interesting because it's having the opposite effect. Oh, because I turned off my camera is what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, not today. Don't have the energy. I definitely feel like the pressure to be energetic on those interactions, like whether it's with school or with work, just because I, in my own head, think these people aren't getting like very much human interaction and I am a small piece of that and I should try to make it a good 15 minutes. Sounds like you're taking on a lot. Uh, but it's fun (laughs) fun for uh the whole group so fun it sounds like you're having fun (laughs) (laughs) so why don't we talk a bit about how to foster and build resilience because i think we could all use some more yeah absolutely i mean as we kind of mentioned i like to think of resilience as like a muscle that you build and so in the same way kyla was talking about how it's not to say that like resilient people don't go through hard times often like they've been through a lot of shit and that's sort of like how they've built up that resilience and so i think that sort of like how we go about build it building it is like these different components of like both physical and emotional well-being but also this level of self-awareness and being able to lean into like some of the tougher emotions and not shy away from them. Yeah. And so I think we can focus on like a couple different components. A super important one being connection and the people we surround ourselves with, um, our personal wellness. So like taking care of ourselves. 
Um, and then also like what's going on in our heads. So like that healthy thinking and that self-awareness and that like positive thought process as opposed to spiraling and things like that. So Mm -hmm. those different components of like how we take care of ourselves when we do hit a tricky spot in our lives. Yeah. And just to, in case anyone wants to look into this a bit more, because we'll touch on all of these, but we won't go super deep into them. This list came from the American Psychological Association. They have kind of like subpoints under each one. But yeah, connection, wellness, healthy thinking, and meaning were the main components that they recommended focusing on. So we'll break down a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we start with uh, relationships? Yeah. Connection. Yeah. I think that this one feels super important. Even this year, I feel like we've all gotten a taste of what it's like to be like lacking in connection and community and those like very important interpersonal relationships that we're not getting enough of these days. And so I think it started to show everyone on even a global scale how important people are and communication is and the fact that we're social beings who need to be around others. And so I think it's been really cool to watch people come back to that concept because I think we're definitely living in a time where we spend so much time looking at screens and like watching Netflix and burying ourselves in things that aren't connection that it's definitely been like a pretty big wake up call. I think I remember like when we first went into like full blown quarantine that I couldn't believe how quickly I just missed like seeing other humans and talking to them. And so, so yeah, I think like for me personally, I've definitely learned this lesson the hard way because I think that while I'm a strong believer in that, like not everyone has earned the right to hearing your story, which is like a big Brene Brown thing in that I think that there's a lot of power and vulnerability and it's super important, but it's also equally important or maybe like more important to really think about who you're sharing it with, which is so ironic as I sit here speaking into <laughs> to the internet, but <laughs> just knowing that like people need to earn the right to your truth and That's kind of when we even talked about boundaries, like how if you notice folks sometimes like oversharing super personal information, whether it's like on social media or like at the bar, it's usually because there's like a boundary missing there because it's usually like not coming from a healthy place to be like just broadcasting it in places where like it might not feel good to share. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to find people who know what to say when you're in those like really tough moments, like people you've carefully selected. (laughs) And I also think it's really easy to like not share at all. I know that that's my go-to is just like to not tell people what's happening. (laughs) And I like in particular a few years ago had a situation I went through where I was super upset and just feeling a lot of shame about what happened. And I created this story in my head about how I felt like people, that people would think this was a theme in my life and that people were pitying me and things like that, which like none of which was in any real truth or had ever been told to me. But again, just something I kind of told myself. And through that story, just kind of like decided to keep a big life event to myself and didn't really talk to anyone about it. And I again told my story that like or told myself a story that I was like protecting myself and that I was being private, uh, which I leaned on that word private a lot <laughs> as an excuse. 
And essentially what happened is like by not telling anyone, I created this like little uh, fake world where I didn't ever have to talk about it. And so in never talking about it, it was like I was pretty – pretty good at convincing myself that like it hadn't really happened Mm. and all it did was like obviously significantly prolong the healing process (laughs) and I just think it's it was such a wake-up call for me and that I felt so alone and I did it for a really long time without recognizing like how numb I had become which is like another one of my things that we talked about early on about how you can't like selectively numb feelings. Mm-hmm. So if you just think that you can selectively choose, like, I really don't want to feel the bad shit about this thing that happened, you just numb all the good stuff too, because you're just like, yeah. you're not facing things. And so I guess it was just this moment where I was like, I. <laughs> I thought it was I thought the cool thing to do was to like be super independent and <laughs> not lean on anyone and and like not need anyone like I don't know I was listening yeah. to too much uh Kelly Clarkson or something and <laughs> I think that it was yeah just a really clear moment where it was so obvious to me that when we go too far inwards and like don't lean on people we just like we can't process these things properly and just how much connection and community and, and my relationships have like pulled me out of that place. It's just so clear Mm -hmm. how much we need that stuff and how hard it is to try to go through these things without a community or without those people that you tell everything to. Yeah. I, I totally relate to a lot of what you're saying. I have, I, I, embarrassingly recently noticed that my tendency is also to isolate. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of have like a joke with my friends that I just like disappear for like months at a time every once in a while, which yeah. is, I'm really working on that. It's, it's the same thing where you think that it's easier to deal with it alone, but it actually makes it all harder. Um, I don't know what that is in our brains that we tell ourselves all these stories that isolate ourselves and just make it worse. Like that seems like a bit of a faulty circuit, but <laughs> it is. It's sort of related to like our. Um, it seems that there's this discourse that exists that thinks codependency is like the worst thing on earth. Which yeah, I mean, I don't mean codependency like from an attachment theory perspective. So don't add any power. <laughs> I was going to. I know. I mean like codependency, like leaning on each other, like depending on each other, let's call it. Mm-hmm. And I just think like I grew up thinking that that would be like the worst thing I could be was like codependent on a partner or codependent on my friends. Like I genuinely thought that it was better to not need anyone because like people are unreliable. I don't know, so, like some garbage yeah. advice that I had somehow like really become indoctrinated by. And I just think it's so interesting how there is such a discourse around like being strong and independent and how much we like look down upon people who like really seem to have these like very dependent partnerships. And I just think like that's the whole point is to have relationships with other human beings and to like take care of each other and like love each other. And and I don't – just the concept that we would actively seek to avoid that seems like so yeah. counterintuitive. Yeah, it's truly outside of human nature. Um, I am going to attachment theory you a little bit. Um, 
something that I learned that is really interesting. And I don't know if we've talked about attachment theory before, but we will. And I'm very excited to. It's one of my favorite theories. (laughs) (laughs) Kyla, learning about attachment theory was like the worst thing for me because I was just like, oh my God. Every time I'd say something, she'd be like, Hmm. Okay. Well, exposed. <laughs> She's meanwhile like doing the questionnaire on my behalf to find out what type I am. And we will do an episode on that soon. <laughs> I'm reading the book now so that yes. I can discuss. I'm so excited. Um, but what I was going to say is that uh, human beings, and I think partners in particular now because that's who you live most closely with until we get a duplex together until we start a commune um but they we actually do regulate each other's emotions um it's it's so i don't know if primal is the word i'm looking for but (laughs) if if someone comes in and they're anxious like it'll actually affect the other person's physiological Mm. body i don't know if i'm using the right words i'm really throwing a lot out there right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like if my heart rate is high and I'm moving yeah, fast yeah, and talking yeah. fast, it'll make the other person anxious. Whereas like if another person is calm, it'll calm the other person down. Oh, you think you're just reaffirming my fear about bringing bad vibes into situations? Bad vibes are real. I know, but <laughs> if I only oh. ever want to bring in good vibes because good vibes are contagious and you're just telling me it's... my bad vibes are contagious. So now I right. just stay home. <laughs> it's just, no, I think it's... um. <laughs> take yourself out of this i think it's in particular like your tribe is is kind of what um this talks about is like we we regulate each other um and make each other feel safe so the idea that we should be independent is it just doesn't make any sense like we're built to live with other people and everything from like the way our bodies work to the way our brains like it's it's supposed to be that way. So I yeah. agree. I think that I've always thought that actually what came up for me when you were talking is I realized that I've always had this idea that I just need to be the one that's okay. Like I just need to be the mm-hmm. easy one. And I I am the one who tries to take care of other people mm-hmm. at the detriment of taking care of myself. So yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think we could do a whole episode on like people pleasing, which I hope we do. Um, emotional labor, all these things that women take on. I think this does fall on women a lot um but yes taking care of others not taking care of yourself isolating i would say though it's like a whole different cookie with like gender stereotypes classic gender stereotypes about men where they aren't like allowed to be emotional i know i think that's more aggressively than we are so it's just like i often think about that where it's like while i've not been great at handling them i don't know that i ever thought that like me crying in front of a friend would be like some like catastrophic like event yeah whereas I just think it's so different for the way that like society puts these very aggressive restrictions on men's emotions. I totally agree. I was listening to, we're a little off topic, but we'll get back. Um, (laughs) I was listening to something recently that was talking about how like, I don't like using the the masculine feminine qualities. I think that's outdated, but if men brought on more of the gentle and the caring and the maybe mm-hmm. emotional and and women took on a little more of like the anger. We don't allow ourselves to feel anger. Then- <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But there's just so much, there's just a balance that's missing. Yes. I, I feel like there's a lot of episode ideas coming out here, but um, anyways, <laughs> 
That was point number one. (laughs) So that whole point was relationships and connection and community, um, which was the first thing to focus on to build resilience. Um, And then the next one is wellness. Take it away. (laughs) So wellness to me, and it's different for everyone, but I think things that are super important that I've found that support my wellness are like first of all, eight hours of sleep because yes. went through a long phase in my life where I was part of the camp that believed we could sleep when we're dead or something. Oh my God. <laughs> and I've since <laughs> retired that persona. So uh, go to sleep and you have to go to sleep before midnight because the hours before midnight count more than the hours after. And I have a source so for that. So oh I'll come you live with that. In the <laughs> okay. And also you just need eight hours. People who say they need less than eight hours, like the percentage of our population that doesn't need eight hours of sleep is so abysmal that like if you are a part of it, like you're such an anomaly. So if you- I think, need 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. You're a sleepy gal. I'm so tired. <laughs> people seriously like are out here thinking that like it's some badge of honor to not sleep. Okay. That's my soapbox about sleep. Go to bed. Oh my God. I could join you on that soapbox. Yeah. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Me too. And then like drinking water, I'd say is a great tip to act like a normal person. I feel like I see <laughs> posts all the time these days that are like, if something is wrong, you just need to drink water and that usually fixes it. <laughs> Journaling and mindfulness are like two big ones that can really help with your emotional and mental well-being. And then a huge one for me is also movement. And I think that this is is such a great example even tonight where I had such a busy day today and it was like meeting like back to back. And then I knew I had to do this at (laughs) seven-ish. And I was like, oh, I really need to like move before we do this. Because last time when I listened to myself, I was like, sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, you skipped your workout. That was another reason we were so grumpy. Really? Hmm, I remember. And so even though it was like back to back, I was like, okay, I know I need to move like before we do this. Because otherwise, like, it's not going to be good again (laughs) on my part. And so I worked out and then like showered and came and sat down and I was just like literally the difference in how I felt even just like sitting down versus last time and just like how much more clear I felt and like how much more excited I felt and all of these things. I just like it was such an instant mood booster. Yeah. And I mean like obviously we've talked about this a little bit before and most people know this but like exercise releases endorphins, serotonin. It helps with your mood regulation both when you, when and after you exercise and just like in your life in general, like day to day. The more you exercise, I just feel like as long as it's not compulsively, but like the more you exercise in a healthy capacity, mm-hmm. the more your mood regulation is going to be like strong day to day in your life. Yeah, Increasing your heart rate through exercise helps to decrease cortisol, which we all know we hate cortisol. Boo. Yeah, big boo. <laughs> and um, also increases NPY, which is a neuropeptide that helps protect us against stress and it helps us sleep. <laughs> we so, love her. <laughs> we love this. So uh, endorphins make you happy is the takeaway. And yeah. so does getting lots of sleep and going on headspace and drinking water. Yeah. Stress, I mean, this is so related to our um, to our emotions affect your health episode, but it's just as much physical as it is emotional and you got to take care of your body to take care of your brain. Yes. Um, 
you were talking about sleep and absolutely being obsessed with sleep. And I pretty recently realized the, I mean, I think, okay, when I didn't sleep for five months at a time when I first got Ollie and then (laughs) when I, um, I was having like a week where I basically didn't sleep at all, um, towards the end of my last job. Um, I have seen firsthand what burnout and lack of sleep can do, uh, not only to your physical body, but your mental state. Um, I felt like I was losing my mind and I don't say that lightly. Um, everything feels bigger and less manageable. And I straight up got sent to a psychiatrist. I <laughs> I don't mean to laugh because that's serious. <laughs> but I, because I genuinely think it was because I, I didn't sleep for like a week. Um, um, obviously, that was why. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> I think they do studies on like sleep deprivation and like how yeah. messed up it makes us. Yeah, it I am not a, I am not a good person when I don't sleep and I don't think anybody is. I actually read a book that was called like How to Sleep or Why Sleep is So Important. And mm. the big joke throughout the book was that like it's pretty boring and so you like read it before bed and you might fall asleep and the author is like please do. I would prefer yeah. you to sleep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but Honestly. it's such a good book. It also it has this chart in it that shows our brain. This is off topic, but I'll send you the picture of this chart and you'll be so stoked because I know Ooh, you love okay. like this. <laughs> I but love it charts. shows our brain like what's going on in our brain on four different substances and it shows you like I might get them wrong, but like I don't know, uh like acid, marijuana, uh something else cocaine and then caffeine Mm. and all of them are like a little different and then the caffeine one is like so messed up like all of the wires are like crossing and it like looks like a wild spider web and it's like talking about how bad it is for your brains and like how unfocused it makes you know yeah Yeah. i i mean you're a big coffee in my four espresso shots a day (laughs) (laughs) i ended up having to quit drinking coffee because when I started paying attention I was like oh (laughs) no wonder I feel so bad I mean I definitely feel like I've got myself pretty limited here like I don't do too much and I've stopped with like my 6 p.m coffees which was a habit I had for a while I truly cannot understand (laughs) now I'll have like a cup of Earl Grey and I'm like ooh, like I'm feeling a little wired (laughs) yeah no not not me oh man um okay so what was that point wellness We okay. Ooh, I wanted to talk about mindfulness. I had to get my plug in. Here we go. This is under the wellness point as well. Um, but yeah, mindfulness practices. It, it doesn't just have to be like a formal meditation practice. It can be journaling or yoga or a gratitude practice or like going for a walk and paying attention to the plants around, which is something I like to do. But we have been doing a. I mean, I guess it's much over 30 days now. But we we were doing a 30-day meditation or challenge. Under, if you're me. And I I want to talk about that, how that went for you. But <laughs> I I feel like I got a lot of benefit out of it. And I was just kind of doing it to like show support. Um, but I feel like it's showed me all over again why I'm so obsessed and I will never stop talking about it. But the I feel like the more approachable way and like the understandable way to explain what it does is it gives you the ability to notice what you're feeling and then choose how to react. Um, That's what mindfulness basically is. It's paying attention to what's going on. Here's my update. (laughs) (laughs) Did I do it every day? Absolutely not. No, I didn't. (laughs) But 
I downloaded Headspace when this began. So I would have started with zero minutes meditated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and your girl's currently at 146. Oh my God. That's a lot of minutes. That's quite a bit, I think. That's quite a bit. Maybe she's not so good at doing it every single day, but. It doesn't have to be every day. I did some meditation. So. I'm proud of you. And then I also did some journaling afterwards because Kyla was very adamant that I monitor how I felt before and after. Oh, I didn't think you were actually going to do that. (sighs) I'm a great student. Oh my God. And I'd like to continue with it because I don't know that I've done it consistently enough to like track trends the way you do on your little app. (laughs) But I definitely notice a difference, even if it's like when I'm at the end of the class and we do like a meditation, sometimes I'll just like build off of that. And I definitely feel very clear after. And also I think it's just like sort of uh, snowballed into a couple other things that I've done lately, like even with getting off of my phone and turning off my notifications on my phone. So if I don't text you back, it's Kyla's fault. <laughs> and just things like that, like it sort of inspired me to like spend less time being like so overstimulated. I mean, I also watched The Social Dilemma and it kind of messed me up. Bad, oh, yeah. But <laughs> I think it does. Like I've started like sleeping with my phone outside of my room. And so I'm reading at night before I go to bed as opposed to like scrolling through Instagram and I, even those differences that sort of like feel related to it and are things that like have often like I've been thinking of while I'm doing meditation because I find it so challenging. I think because I'm like so used to that like constant mm-hmm. stimulus that to just like sit there and do nothing. I was texting Kyla being like, it's I find it so boring, mm-hmm. which is so bad. Like you should be able to sit there and do nothing for 10 minutes. Like that's, that's so, so alarming. Okay. I you <laughs> No, she should be able to. It's not good. <laughs> it's bad. It's like so much over like I'm always looking at screens or like even I notice it like I always want like music on or something like it's just like sit in silence and like don't do anything and don't touch anything yeah. for 10 minutes. Like it's very difficult. And so I think I'm just like I've also not only have I felt that it's obviously very important, which I always knew that I just like didn't make time for it. But I also just think it's related to other things. Like it's really showing me like how much I need to learn how to like slow down and stop having those like constant like oh my god pings in my. I'm head. so proud. Yeah, that's huge. I don't that's think I'll huge ever turn my notifications back on. I know. I know. It was the best thing I did. Nothing important happens on my phone. And so why do I think I need to know about it the second it happens? And you know what? It makes me feel less guilty when I get messages because when I see them right away, it's like I have to like deal with this right now. Mm -hmm. But now it's like I don't see them. So I don't even know it's there. And then I check my phone like near the end of the day and I have a couple people to like, you know, get back in touch with. And then Mm -hmm. it's just like done. It's not like these long drawn out conversations. I love that. I think that, again, we're going off topic, but it's fun. We're having fun. (laughs) At Um, least we're enjoying ourselves this time. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We're having fun. Um, But yeah, no one is entitled to your attention. And I think, I mean, yeah, yeah, if you watch The Social Dilemma, which highly recommend everyone watches, it's on Netflix. um, So good. But the currency of today is our attention. So taking control of your attention and and putting it on things that matter to you, that is a little protest. I like that. Yeah, agreed. So that's been my learning. But from like a mood perspective, I think still still working on like tracking it a bit better. Um, 
but definitely from like a not being able to sit still for 10 minutes, it's been very eye-opening to like how bad that's gotten um, from like a health standpoint, not from like a negative, I shouldn't say bad, I should say <laughs> how much I think that that is something I, sh- I, oh my God, I can't make a statement without <laughs> doing something you would like I say like to be slower. I want to be comfortable sitting somewhere and like doing nothing and not having the, yeah. not having the desire to touch my phone. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so that was the wellness point. <laughs> um, the next one, um, this one, I was gonna kind of just go quickly over because we did a whole episode on this point, but finding purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, helping others, acts of kindness, making small achievable goals to keep yourself going, um, and listen to our last episode. WTF? Am I doing with my life? Where we yeah. talk about how we have no idea what we're doing with our lives. <laughs> I don't know if that one will help, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely agree with this one. Like how how much we get esteem from helping others, and like how mm-hmm. that can help just with like our day to day mood. And I think that has a lot to do with maintaining a certain amount of resilience and overall well being. Yeah, yeah, and kind of building off of that, I think perspective is so important. I think one thing that this year has made <laughs> one thing that this year has made clear, one of the many things this year <laughs> has taught us is like for me, I've really learned like how important perspective is. And it's kind of that quote that I've heard a lot during this experience that's like we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And I think what that helps me like avoid is those feelings that the the world is happening to me. And honestly, yeah. like if you listen to the episode we didn't release, that's like that was the dialogue yeah, I found yeah. like, to be honest, was that it was like the smoke is happening to us and like COVID is ruining our lives. And just like yeah. I think that what I felt listening back on it was like a lack of perspective. And I, mm-hmm. I have noticed that like in myself throughout this year and and in others, but because I think it's really easy to get to a point where like that's the way our thoughts are working. Yeah. And just how important it is to like remind myself that I'm an active participant in it and that like if I'm able to use perspective, I'm able to see that like while the storm could be really bad, I think 2020 has been a very, very difficult year. Like both can be true. And we kind of talked about that in a previous episode about where it's like things can be going really shitty for me. And I also want to always be aware of like the privilege I have and and how grateful I am for the things that do keep me going. Mm -hmm. And so I think that perspective helps us just like maintain a hopeful outlook. Like I just don't think being super cynical or like dreading what's going to happen with COVID in the next six months or eight months or like it just doesn't serve a purpose. Like I would rather just accept that like life has changed as we know it and that's difficult, but like I would rather lean into like how do I make this experience positive because we're not – all positive but like how do I find the good stuff yeah because it's there and I'm lucky that it's there and like I I don't want to like live in this space where I am waiting for something to change in order to like feel better I want to be able to as resilience would put it like deal with what's going on and accept it and like be sad about it at times because like it sucks and then also Mm -hmm. like move through it in a way that feels more sustainable than what I was doing for a long time at the beginning. Yeah. 
I feel like that's a good segue into um, I we won't go too deep into the like resilience as a tool because I feel like this could be a really good episode and I don't want to just like brush over it and, and not do it justice. But one way to practice resilience and a huge part of practicing resilience is knowing how to regulate your emotions, which I think is kind of what we've been talking about during this episode and what you were just talking about there. Um, and it's definitely what I've been working on a lot, mm-hmm. but the ability to identify, put a name to what you're feeling and then choose what you want to do about it is, it sounds so simple, but it's huge. Like it's, it's huge with resilience and like you were just saying, reframing and accepting, which is kind of what I will touch on here. I also think just to add on to that too, like it by no means uh, means that we should try to alter them. Like it's about, mm-hmm. I've been like so often when speaking to like professionals about these things have been told like you need to not shy away from the feelings that you're feeling and be able to like sit in them sometimes and like address them, which is kind of like when I was telling that story before, I think I was just avoiding doing that. Yeah. And like my uh, therapist that I was seeing at the time would be like, if you go for a run every time that you feel shitty, you're not really ever going to let yourself yeah. feel shitty, are you? Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of counterintuitive because I was talking about movement as like medicine for that as well. But I think it's about recognizing and being able to be self-aware around like when an emotion is is telling you something and like needs to be dealt with as opposed to yeah. just like brushed off. Absolutely. I don't – yeah. Okay. So very good points. Um Basically, when we're in times of uncertainty, which we (laughs) definitely are right now, um, emotions are stirred up and we can kind of slip into the sympathetic nervous system, like the fight or flight response and cortisol. And when you're in that state, you kind of lose your rational thinking. Mm -hmm. So being in the practice of self-regulation means you're able to act in a way that's consistent with basically what you want to do. And you can influence your emotions not by pushing down the ones that are coming up, but by acknowledging what's coming up. And then there's a couple options, which I'll get into right now. A way that I practice this, and this is something I do with my therapist who who specializes in somatic, I think, emotional processing, something like that. But um, basically, you notice what's happening in your body physically, and then you put a name to it. So I always use the feelings wheel, which I think I've, I've gotten you to use as well which sounds a little juvenile at first, but oh my God, it helps so much. So put a name to what you're feeling, kind of go inside and figure out what you need and then decide what you want to do from there. This is a mindfulness practice. (laughs) My feelings wheel, my feelings wheel is always in the red zone. Yeah. It's always like bad, sad, angry, (laughs) mad, mad. (laughs) It like starts somewhere far off and I'm like, no, it's going to be different this time. And it's like, you're mad. (laughs) I know, totally. But when you are able to practice mindfulness in your day to day, you pay attention more. And when you pay attention more, you notice what you're feeling. And when you notice what you're feeling, you can do something about it. Mm -hmm. So when something triggers an emotional response, you basically have three options. You can suppress it, which is what um, we do, (laughs) 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 which what we used to do. (laughs) Um, You can reappraise it. So this is what you were talking about, um, reframing a situation and creating a conscious shift to a more positive outcome. Mm -hmm. Or you can accept it, um, which is kind of the practice of letting go of 
things you can't control to make room for things that you can control. Mm-hmm. I think these are CBT techniques. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks when I learn. Okay. About it. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. But yeah, basically you have to acknowledge what you're feeling. Suppressing isn't an option. I mean, it's an <laughs> option, but it's just going to come back later on <laughs> or in some other way. Mm-hmm. So acknowledge it, reappraise or accept it, decide what you're going to do about it. And, you know, that's all we can do. Just go about life <laughs> doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely think that like those are ways to start to use resilience like actually as a tool as opposed to just like as an abstract concept. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's been really helpful helpful for me to kind of unpack like even through our like research for this episode. Just like if someone had asked me to describe resilience, I'm like pretty sure it would have looked a little bit more like like toughness. Yeah. And I just think it's like such a Brene concept to be like, there's power and vulnerability. But I just think that it's so, it's so true that like it takes some bravery to be able to look at like what comes up for you in certain situations and just want like address when you'll be willing to watch those things go. And, um, just like to meet it with bravery as opposed to like fearing it is I think like a huge shift for me that happened within like the concept of resilience. So instead of like trying to get over it, now just like having the courage to show up and and deal with it when when it's time to do that. Yeah, totally. At the end of the day, emotions are just information. Like Mm -hmm. we assign all these this meaning to it, but it's just your body saying, hey, listen, something's this is making me feel some type of way. And Mm just wants you to do something. So if you can take all the weight off of it, it's like you're allowed to feel angry or you're allowed to feel sad mm-hmm. and you're allowed to not lash out at people or, you know, like you can mm-hmm. you can choose, but you have to know what's going on first. For sure. I think that's, that's the moral of the story to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool to think of like people who are super resilient are the people who know how to do that and who know how to recognize it and address it and like I just would never have thought that that was the yeah. like the big point of resilience and to me that seems like so much more doable than trying to act like nothing affects me that's like not a very comfortable yes <laughs> yeah totally it seems more achievable now yeah so what do you think do you feel resilient in the face of 2020 <laughs> <laughs> I I do. Actually, I feel pretty resilient. I feel like for the first time in probably like my whole life, I have uh, very much distilled my people who mm-hmm. I go to when things aren't going my way. And it's been really cool to really notice that this year where I used to share sometimes my stories with people and get reactions that maybe like made it worse Mm -hmm. and for no like they weren't trying to they just like maybe didn't know sort of like what I needed to hear in those moments yeah and I just kind of figured out my people and it's been really cool to like go through stuff and and know who to call and get responses that like really change where I'm at as opposed to or even just like meet me where I'm at as opposed to maybe in the past when I was going through tough times and like those feelings of like sharing something vulnerable and then getting it like a negative reaction is very uh it maybe helps with the suppression a lot because you just like you're getting like a negative yeah. feedback and so you want to stop and so my social connections have made me feel very resilient this year 
That's great. What about you, buddy? Now that the smoke is gone. <laughs> yeah, the smoke really did a number on me. But <laughs> the smoke almost took you out because it took away your coping mechanisms. It did. I think that if I were to compare me to me last year, mm-hmm. I feel more resilient. I feel like I have healthier yeah. coping mechanisms. I can put a name to what I'm feeling, which is something I didn't even know I didn't know how to do. Which yeah. so <laughs> yeah. You also seem like so happy this year compared to last year, which I know like, <laughs> sorry, amidst everything is sort of like shocking. Give Like, you know what I mean? Like with everything going yeah. on, you think it'd be so hard to have that happen and you just seem like so much lighter, I think. Yeah. I feel, I feel lighter, which is, it's an absurd thing to feel like 2020 isn't the worst year. <laughs> like internally, obviously externally, it's absolutely tragic, but yeah. I- I think my coping mechanisms are a little bit uh, better now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a daily practice. Um, every single day I have to check in with – there's a lot of sadness. I mean, like, I do feel like I'm more in touch with myself now. Um, mm. But there's a lot of anger and sadness mm. and the world is in, going through it. Yeah. And it makes me feel a lot of really big things and – now I know how to feel those things. Yeah. And so they don't, you know, build up as bad. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think like that kind of comes back to what we were talking about when we started dis- like started to discuss this episode around like what's the difference between resilience and starting to get like desensitized to things. Mm-hmm. And I think you just kind of like hit the nail on the head when you're saying like, I see all of this happening and I just like, I know how to feel these things better than before in the sense that like, I, I think it's about like all of these things put together, like boundaries and community and like all these ways that we can both feel the gravity of what's happening in the world Mm -hmm. and not shy away from it. And also like know how to cope as opposed to just being like, haha, this is, a while, like you know what I mean? Like all the stuff yeah. we used to just like try to kind of like tread over it. And I feel like now we're better at just being like, today was really hard and like knowing where to go from there as opposed to yeah. just kind of, I don't know, continuing to trek along through it. Keep calm and carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I agree. I think we've all gotten a lesson in resilience this year. Yeah, for better or for worse. (sighs) Okay, anything else? That's it for me. Me too. Okay, bye. Bye. Hey, beach. (laughs) That's not how we do this. Hello, Kyla. Good evening. Hello. (laughs) It's time for a fact check. Uh, Honestly, like this has been what I've been looking forward to all day long. Oh, I'm such a gift in your life. That's true. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I've had a lot going on today. So. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey's really busy lately. <laughs> Seems like More she's not taking soon. her own advice, but... More on that mental breakdown soon. <laughs> Coming We're going to do a burnout episode, so I guess she's just like... She's doing some research. <laughs> this is trial and error, baby. You're a method How actor. Many can I do at once? <laughs> I am a method actor. <laughs> mm, alrighty. <Kay>. So <laughs> hit me. <laughs> this fact check involves little to no factual information because 
you didn't come right. out with any of your oh. theories that you normally do really <laughs> and I didn't make any you know sweeping statements about cool. things so wow we love some growth yeah I kept the quotes to a minimum which is always a win for everyone and right, right. really didn't use many idioms so wow big day for us yeah I know we're professionals so <laughs> Alrighty, let's just hop right in here. Okay. I think probably my highlight of this episode is when Kyla struggles to remember <laughs> an article that she read and states that because she didn't actually read it, she doesn't remember what it said. And the article she's talking about is the one that I posted in detail on the Instagram that we share for this podcast. Oh my so God. That was a big win for me. <laughs> knowing that she didn't I think I probably it. read it. I just read a lot of articles. Is all. <laughs> we'll put a poll up on whether or not people believe that statement. Oh my god. I don't remember which one we were talking about either. Which is yeah. Because <laughs> you didn't go and read it even though you said you would in the episode. Sorry, I've been busy editing the podcast. Oh, there <laughs> we go. We're about to have a daddy, daddy gang breakup. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> so you, in a roundabout way, tried to explain an article you hadn't read about how at the six-month mark, <laughs> you just chose an arbitrary number, that people start to experience, you know, some tough feelings. When <laughs> they get bummed. <laughs> they get super bummed. So it's an article about surge capacity. And for all those oh, um, I remember now. pals out there that I read did that. read it. Yeah. I did read it. I promise I did. So... How surge capacity works is essentially like in the early months during this pandemic, we were using surge capacity to operate. And what surge capacity is, how many times can I say surge capacity? (laughs) (laughs) Drink every time. (laughs) It's a collection of adaptive symptoms, mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in acutely stressful situations. So like in a natural disaster, the people in the aftermath of that are using surge capacity in order to like get up the next day and like do life tasks because they're actually so stressed but this is like something that you tap into in those moments and so we did this in the beginning but what happens is it's supposed to only be for a very limited amount of time about six months never was six quoted I don't even think six months I think way less but then because this like emergency phase that we were in became chronic people just ran out of gas like they didn't they weren't able to renew this ability to cope yeah and so one thing I thought was really interesting is the author of this article states like I know what depression was and this wasn't that it was just like this like anxiety tainted depression, like feeling of like inability to concentrate and like all these things. Like they just like were trying to describe it and they were like, I know what depression feels like. I know what anxiety feels like. This is a new state hmm. of being. And so essentially what they kind of talk about in this article is that like the phrase adjusting to the new normal has been repeated to us endlessly since March. I hate that. Yeah, and how it's so much easier said than done because our new normal is an ever-changing situation. Yeah, I don't want a new normal. Yeah. I would like the old normal, please. Yeah, and it was really interesting because the article talked about how we are mourning things that are 
not tangible. It's like we're mourning a way of life. Like yeah. we're mourning the ability to like meet up with our friends and like go to a wedding and things like that. And so it's this loss of like the overall experience, even for like people in education. Like it's this loss of going to school and these rituals that like Ugh, were so important so to us. And so she – or the author describes it as ambiguous loss, which is essentially like a defined – it's defined as a loss that doesn't have any like closure or clear understanding. Mm-hmm. Leaves someone searching for answers. And so that was this article we posted. I have some notes up on it on our Instagram in the highlights and they did provide some like coping mechanisms in this article. Expect less from yourself experiment with both and thinking which for example is like this is a terrible time and this is a time yeah. for families to come like close together radical acceptance right? yeah which is our fave thing mm-hmm. look for activities that fulfill you strengthen your important relationships and then begin slowly building your resilience bank account sleep nutrition exercise meditation self listen to the episode i don't know how they got here if they haven't already but (laughs) yo go listen to our resilience episode it's tight (laughs) it'll tell you what to do so that was just i wanted to bring that up because it definitely ties into this episode and also i just thought it was hilarious like kyla Okay, you don't have to believe me, but I do remember reading that. I just, I sometimes forget (laughs) when I learn things, you know? (laughs) So I also wanted to chat about, I bring up Brene a lot in this episode and just all episodes, really. Just our buddy Brene. I just refer to her with just her first First name name as if I know her. So (laughs) Brene Brown, if you don't know, she's an American professor an author she's got a ted talk super famous because it went viral and all around great human i assume yeah absolutely her big things are like talking about the power of vulnerability and so that's kind of why i brought her up in this episode i think as i was talking about like who has earned the right to hear your story and like have that vulnerability if you've never read a book by her, I highly recommend reading The Gifts of Imperfection first. It's small. It's like 10 – it's like there's 10 steps kind of. Like it's very easy. It's an easy read and it's super informative. And then the next one I would read is Daring Greatly. And then there's some other ones like there's Dare to Lead and things like that. But I would say like Daring Greatly and Gifts of Imperfection are like <laughs> are her two like bread and butter style okay, books. Cool. I reference codependency in this episode, but I kind of am using the wrong word. I think like dependence on others and codependency, I think maybe are like a little different. Mm-hmm. Codependency is defined as an excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, okay. typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know that. I okay. meant like lean on your pals when you need them. Okay. That's all the facts I have. Oh. Okay. What else should we talk about? <laughs> I don't know. I want to talk more about your dreams, but oh, y'all. private. I've been having some nightmares and they are super weird. So We should have like a dream expert. Maybe we should do a messy thought soon because I've been thinking yeah. about a lot of things. I don't know. Those are some spooky things we were just talking about. I know. It could be a Halloween episode. Ooh. <laughs> Analyze my nightmares. <laughs> What does it mean if Kyla's chasing someone in her dreams? And running away from someone. Sometimes at the same (laughs) time. At the same time. It's like a train of chasers. (laughs) Oh, man. It's spooky. Okay, anything else? 
Oh, I do remember one thing I also have to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a good thing you asked. Okay. So in this episode, I I talk about how I talk about a – maybe you cut this out because it was so like I wasn't really making clear points, but (laughs) there's a book called Why We Sleep, and I reference it in this episode. I can't remember if I cut it out or not, so just – well. The listeners will know how you feel about my thoughts. <laughs> in the episode, I talk about how the book has a diagram of people's brains on different substances, and it's supposed to show you like how bad caffeine is for your brain. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what the diagram – is it a diagram? Sure. Yeah. What it's actually showing is they gave, they gave spiders different yeah. substances. So they gave them like – uh, marijuana. They they got them zooted, and they did I use it right? The, yeah. the spiders got zooted. Yeah, and they also gave some of the spideys benzedrine, which is like Ritalin, I think. And they gave some spideys coffee. Maybe not coffee. Maybe caffeine. Come out. They had cups of coffee for the spideys. They went to a little cafe. <laughs> They each had a macchiato, and then they did the study. (laughs) They went to brunch. And then they gave some Spideys the chloral hydrate, which we think is like chloroform. This is not a good fact check. No, no, no. This is primo. And then what they show you is the webs that the Spideys make on these different substances. So I'm just going to describe it to everyone because this is obviously like a verbal platform, non-visual. Paint me a picture. (laughs) So we've all seen a normal spider web. Intricate. Perfect, beautifully spaced out, <laughs> lines, symmetrical, it's art. Yeah. I then see they it. get zooted, then the Spideys get zooted. And Which is, they have smoked mar- they smoked weed. <laughs> they smoked weed. <laughs> give them some tiny little spider dudes. <laughs> they puff puff past and got zooted, and then they did a web. Oh and I gotta say, it's pretty wonky looking. There's some big gaps and yeah. it's much less symmetrical. On the Benzedrine, things get real wonky. It looks almost like there's two webs, upper web Ooh. and bottomer <laughs> web. <laughs> and then and then the chloral hydrate, the chloroform, exactly what you'd think these spideys be snoozing while they'd be making this <laughs> net. It's not intricate. There's way less web. Definitely they're not going to catch anything in this web. It's okay. not good. Got it. And the caffeine one kind of looks like someone smashed a glass window. Yeah, that's a good explanation. it's real, real wonky, big holes, and it's not even in like a circular pattern. It's just – Yeah. It's abstract and it isn't good. And I can't really remember what the key takeaway was, but I don't know why we were talking about not drinking coffee. I don't know. But if anyone ever wants to talk about when I had a cold brew addiction – Oh, my God. You did? <laughs> yeah, like a couple times. That's what during oh. the like five months when I didn't sleep, I discovered cold brew and I didn't realize that it was like oh, hell yeah. very strong. So I think what I figured out was I was drinking the equivalent of like six cups of coffee in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm not great for your brain. <laughs> <sighs> I love like a good 6 p.m. double shot latte. Just right to the it's brain. Anxiety. I hate it. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>